0: Hi, I'm Esau Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ring of Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Triand Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at
1: VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
2: It is Wednesday, July 19th. It's here, finally. We've been talking about it for months. Craig even got one of those Barbenheimer muscle t-shirts. The Battle of the Summer, the most interesting weekend at the box office since the pandemic began. Barbie versus Oppenheimer, and both of them versus the second weekend of Mission Impossible. If you look at the tracking services, which I do more often than I'd like to admit, you know this isn't really a close fight anymore. Barbie from Warner Brothers, directed and co written by Greta Gerwig, is tracking between 100 million and 130 million for the domestic three day, a big range there, depending on the service. And Oppenheimer from Universal, filmmaker Chris Nolan, is at about 45 or 50 million for the three day, including all those IMAX screens. It's an IMAX takeover for Nolan, much to the frustration of Tom Cruise, who really wanted to steal some of those large format theaters away from Mission. But IMAX made a commitment to Nolan, so here we are these films open as they're predicted and mission holds like previous installments did and you add in sound of freedom that right-wing child trafficking movie that somehow is crossing 100 million dollars we're looking at a weekend above 200 million domestic a very welcome development for hollywood and the theaters after a pretty disappointing summer so far so what's fueling this as with many things in movie tracking these days it's complicated David Herron, the film researcher and founder of The Quorum, who does tracking for a bunch of studios and for my newsletter at Puck, he wrote recently that, quote, what makes Barbie so unique is that the conversation about this film is coming from moviegoers who have been sitting on the sidelines since the pandemic, end quote. That means that basically, much like Top Gun last summer, Barbie is bringing people back to theaters post-COVID who weren't interested until now. But why? So that's today's show with David Herring. Barbie. Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, and the data behind the most interesting weekend in years at the box office. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with David Harum of The Quorum. It's funny, everyone's talking about Barbie versus Oppenheimer this weekend. You were talking about this a year ago. So welcome, first of all. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk about where we are and first I I get these tweets all the time when I do these tracking tweets where I say oh Barbie's tracking to x amount and people are like well how do they know what's tracking really (laughs) is all is it all bullshit is this just spin tell us in a brief word what tracking is how you do it and where we are with Barbie and Oppenheimer two days from release
0: so tracking has been around forever and there are lots of different ways that we can track films the ones that we use at the quorum, I mean, we, we do survey data. We go out and we actually poll people about upcoming movies. And we ask them a series of questions, as do the other tracking services, that kind of boil down to two main metrics. One being awareness, which upcoming movies are you aware of? And two, interest, which upcoming movies do you want to see? And tracking can start as early as a year before release. We start tracking movies six months before release. But people begin to really start focusing on tracking data in that kind of final six to four weeks before release. And the way that we interpret tracking data is by using COPs, right? So we identify similar titles to the subject film. We look at how they performed in their tracking. We look at how they performed theatrically at the box office. And then we kind of triangulate the numbers and we we arrive at a sort of a forecast within a narrow range. That's how tracking works.
2: And obviously that opens it up to problems if the entire marketplace shifts, which after COVID it sort of has because the tracking, not you necessarily, but I feel like the tracking this summer has sort of been all over the place because people are using comps from a pre-COVID time and we may be in an entirely new world order here.
0: We don't use pre-COVID comps because the quorum didn't exist before COVID. But other services do. And also to complicate that, there was that period of time, 12, 14, 16 months, where we had these day and date releases where you had movies that were premiering theatrically and on the streaming service at the same time. And some tracking services will use those titles as comps, which don't really make any sense because we don't know what a day and date title, how it would have performed had it been theatrical only. So there's a little bit of messiness in the tracking in terms of comps. We don't have that problem. And
2: do you take into account what the studio tells you they are seeing? Because that's <laughs> no. the that's the wild card here as well, because the studios, obviously, they want to lowball and say it's not tracking very high so that when it opens above the tracking, it's a huge success. Everybody gets a bottle of champagne.
0: Correct. Well, that's the, so they're managing expectations. And that's primarily through the trades. That's not really through us. Right. Through us, they want the numbers to be as big as possible. What they put out publicly, they want to be a little bit lower so that it overperforms. So we don't we don't get involved in those kind of policies. You know, when we deal with the studios, we're dealing with the real. We tell them exactly what we see um, and we don't sugarcoat it. And there's really no point in doing that. Right.
2: Okay. so Barbie and Oppenheimer, what are you seeing? What's unusual? How does the landscape look right now?
0: Well, so this, this is a very, very complicated one. And quite frankly, I've been looking at, at tracking for over 20 years, and I do not recall seeing a movie track the way that Barbie is. And what I mean by that is that we, we're seeing a lot of conflicting numbers. For the most part, when we look at all of the, move, the tracking data for a movie, it all kind of points to a single space, right? It all points to an opening within this range. When it comes to Barbie, we're seeing conflicting data. Some metrics look really really soft some metrics look stronger than any movie we've ever seen and so it's it's a little bit hard for us to kind of make sense of that and on top of that you know we start at the quorum we put out our 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 forecast for opening weekend forecast beginning six weeks out and for the most part they don't really change over the course of the six weeks until release the forecast for barbie has tripled since since our forecast at six weeks wow. out wow
2: And that's got to be because of the virality of the marketing, right? It's caught on in the TikTok, Instagram sphere and become something that everybody is talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a once in a decade kind of phenomenon, right? Where a movie taps into something in the culture in a way that movies traditionally don't. And what's unusual about this is that it's not a superhero movie. It's not an effects driven movie. It's not a $300 million movie. It's not a cheap movie. And that's, to me, perhaps the most wonderful thing about the movie, and hopefully will be the legacy of the movie. If this movie explodes in the way that I think most people think that it will, this could be a moment of inflection where there's a bit of a course correction in terms of the types of movies that studios feel comfortable making, because this will be proof of concept that people will show up for these kinds of movies.
2: Uh, Well, by the way, I have to correct you the CGI on Ryan Gosling's abs. Is pretty impressive because <laughs> they 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 definitely pop. He's got something going on there. But I see I hear what you're saying. So the tracking for Barbie has gone from the mid 30s, 40s to over 100 now. On
0: our website, we have a daily Barbie update where we update our forecast <laughs> on a daily, daily
2: basis. Daily Barbie update. Uh, nice. It's you and seven year old girls are doing the that's, daily that's Barbie right.
0: updates. And I think that we're now at 120 to 130. So when it was six weeks out, we were at 45 to 55. And now we're at, I think we're at 130 to 140. And there's still variables that will impact that forecast over the next couple of days before release. One will be the reviews. Two, we're still tracking it, right? There are two more fieldings before we have our final numbers. So more data is still going to come in. And it's entirely possible that this thing could, you know, if the reviews are really incredible.
2: Well, that's the thing. That is typically when a studio holds the reviews, you set a review embargo the day before the release, typically that suggests the studio is not very confident that the reviews will be good. I'm not sure that necessarily applies here because I think Warners is just not taking any chances. They know they've got a great thing going with this marketing and they did influencer screenings and such and they feel that they sort of don't need the reviews. I mean, the pre-sales for Barbie are through the roof. People have already bought their tickets. So the reviews (laughs) did not impact that. Uh, It's also interesting that Oppenheimer has held the reviews. You'd think that a big Chris Nolan biopic would benefit from the critics, but they've also
0: held. Well, so I mean, Oppenheimer at this point kind of needs all the help that it can get, right? I mean, poor Christopher Nolan ended up on this date opposite Barbie, and Barbie is exploding, and Oppenheimer really isn't. Well,
2: you know, there's a whole backstory there. Nolan had been at Warner's. He left. And he has this weekend in July that he loves for all of his movies. And Warner's basically said, F you, you're leaving the studio. We're going to put Barbie on the same date. It is a different audience. And there is a track record here. If you look back to Dark Knight, Dark Knight opened opposite Mamma Mia, which was a female skewing movie that is similar in demos, I guess, to Barbie, although Barbie has crossed over to mainstream. And both those movies did fine. Now, obviously, Dark Knight is not a three-hour biopic about a guy who's been dead for many years so it's not like nolan has the ip behind him but i think an opening for 40 50 million for nolan is fine right
0: yeah i mean and nolan movies tend to play right so you know if the average multiple is like 2.7 2.8 his usually get above 3 3.5 so right. you know 40 multiple and, meetings, 40,
2: 40, the opening weekend times three is what the ultimate gross would be
0: Right, so you know, a forty-five million dollar opening could translate to one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty, and and the movie might be just fine. You know, and you you actually touched on something which is really interesting, which is this idea of pre-sales. So the pre-sale numbers for Barbie are through the roof. I'm hearing from some places that the pre-sales are outpacing Doctor Strange, and if that's true, then we could be talking about an opening closer to one hundred eighty million dollars, possibly two hundred million dollars. But we're also seeing that the pre-sales for Oppenheimer are actually quite large as well. And specifically, we saw that the pre-sales for Oppenheimer kind of exploded the moment that they went on sale. And since then, we're hearing, I don't know if this is necessarily true, they've sort of slowed down a little bit, which kind of suggests core fan base of people who really want to see this movie Oppenheimer are going to buy tickets the first chance they get. And also, because Oppenheimer is playing in IMAX screens in large format, It's the large format screens, which you're really seeing the pre-sales. But it all kind of boils down to the fact that, you know, if you just look at the pre-sale numbers for Oppenheimer, it also does sort of suggest an opening above 45 to 50 million. So this could be a case where both movies overperform the tracking.
2: Well, how much do you think that the Barbenheimer phenomenon online, where people are tweeting about seeing both movies in the same day, Uh, which sounds like kind of a slog to me, but uh, (laughs) I I get it's become a meme. Is that raising both boats here?
0: Yeah, for sure. And what I think is sort of interesting is... I mean, AMC
2: um, said 20,000 people had already signed up for that via its website.
0: Yeah, and I I just sort of know a few people in my orbit who are doing the same thing. What I always sort of find interesting is I ask these people which of the two they're seeing first. Good question. (laughs) And for the most part, interestingly, people are saying Oppenheimer first. That makes sense to me. You you, think did, makes you, know, sense you
2: you eat your dinner before you get dessert.
0: <laughs> exactly right. And
2: plus, exactly I know people right. that are getting cocktails in between. And I'm like, dude, if you get cocktails and then sit down for the three-hour biopic, you're out within hour two.
0: <laughs> well, right. And also, you know, Barbie is, uh, Barbie's two hours, Oppenheimer's three. So get the long one out first. And then I, th- that makes sense to me, too.
2: It just must be so frustrating and just perplexing for these studios because... This is out of their control. Like these things happen or they don't happen. I remember talking to the Universal guys about the Gentle Minions thing last summer. It's like, yeah, they'd love to take credit for that, but it just happened. They had no way of knowing that all of a sudden 12 year olds on TikTok would decide it would be fun to dress up in suits and go see a kids' movie. Like the Barbenheimer thing, it's, it's amazing. This caught on.
0: Yeah, and these happen every now and again. I mean, you can even look at Super Mario Brothers, which was tracking you know, bullishly to open around a hundred, 110. And then it just, it like through the course of that five day weekend, it just exploded. And we don't see these very often. In fact, it's been
2: the opposite. It's been the opposite this summer. I feel like mission impossible, Indiana Jones, little mermaid, like these movies that had high expectations coming in fast X, they sort of sputtered. Like people are like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll go see them. Craig has a theory that people only go to one movie. Now they like, they, they used to go to multiple movies a summer, and now they just, like, pick the one movie that they're going to rally around, and then everybody goes to that movie.
0: Well, I'd be curious to know why he thinks that. I'm not sure if I, I – I mean, if that's the case, then the numbers would be significantly lower. <laughs> like, I think oh, he's I, talking I,
2: about general audiences, not the super fans that do still see multiple movies, but, like, regular oh. people that, you know, that don't pay attention to this stuff. They just hear. They're like, oh, yeah, are, everyone's talking about the Barbie movie. Better see it.
0: Well, and that's actually, going back to Barbie, that's what makes Barbie really quite remarkable. We actually have a study that we did this week that showed approximately 20% of people who intend to see Barbie in theaters this weekend are people who have, one, not been back to a theater since the pandemic, or two, cannot recall the last time they saw a movie in a theater. <laughs> well, there you go. That is amazing. That's remarkable. And that's exactly what we need right now for theatrical.
2: This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Daylight Saving Time is back. Wait, wasn't that a movie from 2009? Okay, anyway, I do love more hours of daylight. But if you're hiring, it really doesn't matter. Because even though it may feel as if your day is longer, it won't help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Once you post your job, ZipRecruiter sends it to 100 plus job sites and then uses smart technology to find people with the skills and experience to match the position. So spring forward with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers get a quality candidate within the first day. Try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash town. Tap the
1: banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers.
2: So who are these people? Why have they been sitting on the sidelines? And what is it about Barbie that is getting them into theaters? Like, what are the demos here?
0: So the demos that we're seeing, Barbie is skewing female, obviously, and specifically younger. And so the tracking for under 35 women is in line with Little Mermaid. It's actually a little bit higher than Little Mermaid.
2: Okay. Older women
0: have been a little slow to come on board for the movie. And and when I talked earlier about how we're getting these mixed messages in the tracking, the fact that older women, the numbers for older women have been a little bit soft, has suggested that Ashley Barber might not make it to $100 million. But we're just now beginning to see, just over the past four or five days, that the interest levels among women over 35 are starting to rise, and quite sharply.
2: And why is that? Are they being targeted specifically in marketing? Or is it the question of, can I take my seven-year-old daughter to this movie? And the answer people are seeing is, okay, maybe I can?
0: I think it's it's a little bit of that. And I also think it's a little bit of you have this moment in culture and you don't want to be left out. Right. So everyone's going to go see this and you don't want to be the one person that's like, wait, what? You know, yeah. you don't want to be on the sidelines. So
2: that's marketing. It's marketing it's and virality. Totally marketing.
0: Yeah. And we talk about this over and over again. In my days working at, at UTA, we used to talk about eventizing movies. How do we get movies to feel important? And... Warner Brothers is giving a master class in eventizing a movie with Barbie. What do you think they spent?
2: Just give it. Give me a ballpark on what you think the total global outlay for this movie is. Just in terms of marketing. Yeah,
0: I would probably guess somewhere around one forty. I was going
2: to say one fifty, but yeah, that's that seems right to me.
0: I mean, and how much you think? How much you think they
2: spend for that Malibu Dreamhouse? I I don't know, but whatever it is, they got their money's worth. That's the first time I looked at that. I was like, oh shit. They are going for it. Like this, that is hilarious.
0: Well, and, and by the way, I mean, it's, it's good money. I mean, it's entire. think about this. It's entirely possible that Barbie could make so much that it negates all of the losses for the Flash.
2: That's <laughs> certainly not the situation they wanted to be in this summer. I saw the New Yorker had a piece that suggested it was a $145 million budget. I think Warners had said closer to 100. So probably somewhere in between. But uh, still, a lot less than what these DC movies cost.
0: Well, so, you know, we're writing a story called, Why is Barbie Important? And I think that this moment in time, and by the way, it's not just Barbie. It's also, look what's happening with Sound of Freedom. You've got... Oh, that's a whole
2: separate thing. We're going to do a separate show on that one. That is, that's the quasi QAnon movie that is now about to cross $100 million domestic. It's sort of amazing. Yeah.
0: But what it does sort of speak to is on the heels of The Flash and on the heels of, Indiana Jones on the heels of Fast X kind of doing okay. These 250, 300 million dollar movies that have legacy IP not really working. And then you've got this movie like Sound of Freedom and Barbie and to a certain extent Oppenheimer really succeeding in meaningful ways where it could wipe out all the losses for The Flash. The the industry has to sort of stand up and take notice of this, don't you Mm -hmm. think?
2: I do. And same with Super Mario Brothers. That is, yes, a legacy video game IP, but at least for the movies, it felt fresh and different and new and those are the movies that seem to be working this summer it's not the 11th installment of a franchise it's the first installment of a new franchise that you probably already know
0: right exactly right
2: i mean that's why that unaided awareness you wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about unaided awareness and how key that is for movies and why barbie is off the charts on unaided awareness. That's when you ask people what movies are you aware of that are coming up. You don't prompt them with titles. And Barbie is coming off the tongues of people without being told there's a Barbie movie.
0: Right. So we measure awareness two ways. The first way is we don't give them a list. We don't tell them about the upcoming movies. We're just what upcoming movies are you aware of? That's unaided. And then we follow that up with okay here's a list of movies and so now which of these are you aware of? Unaided awareness historically, has been most predictive of box office. For the quorum, unaided awareness has a, about a 92% correlation to opening weekend. And Why is that? For that? Just
2: because if you know about it, you are more likely to have it top of mind
0: for your desire to see? Yeah, that's exactly right. If you could recall it off the top of your head, chances are you want to see it. Now, mm-hmm. the, num- the unaided awareness for Barbie is enormous. Just enormous. Some of the largest we've ever seen. And it sort of begs the question, is it artificially inflated? And is it actually a victim of the success of the marketing of the film? And in that story that I wrote, I mentioned the fact that my 90-year-old stepfather, if asked that question, would probably be able to say Barbie. But he is not the audience for Barbie, and he's not going to go see it. And when a movie reaches that sort of level of cultural zeitgeist, the unaided awareness can become inflated, and then the impact of it and the predictability of it can be undermined a little bit.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. It's too popular, too much in the zeitgeist.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, you've got this 100000 women, which is enormous and points to a $200, $250 million opening. You've got over here the older women who are not doing high, super high levels of, of interest that suggest an opening around $80 million. And is it 80 Is it $220? you have got pre-sales, which, which speak to about 180 And that's why all of these online pundits have no idea what this movie is going to open to.
2: Oh, how dare you? How dare you? I am one of them. So, you know what? It, that's a champagne problem, though. Like, if you are... If your movie is too zeitgeisty, like, that is a problem that every studio marketing person would love to have these days because the problem, obviously, is breaking through. It's so hard to break through and you have to spend so much money to get people's attention. And, you know what? So what if it doesn't match the $200 million tracking? Like, if it gets to 150 $160, that is a massive win for Barbie.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, you have to sort of imagine when they greenlit this movie and they and Greta came on board like in the minds of the warner brothers what did they think this movie was going to open to and gross i don't think any of them were thinking 150 opening weekends right so at this point this is all gravy
2: yeah it is but i think with the nolan movie with oppenheimer you've got comps take us through the comps for oppenheimer and what the calculus was for Universal and green lighting this at a hundred million dollar budget and starting the marketing campaign a year ago, basically doing a Super Bowl spot in February for this movie, basically giving it the event film tentpole treatment, even though it is not IP, it is not even an action movie. It is a, what I've heard, procedural adult drama with an explosion in it. And you just are betting your horse on this filmmaker.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when you look at Oppenheimer, the IP is Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. right? So he he does have his audience. What we're using for comps are movies that kind of fall in that reported $100 million budget range. So we're looking at movies like Creed 3, and we're looking at movies like Elvis, and we're looking at movies like Bullet Train. And, you know, these are all movies that kind of opened in the $30 to $60 million range. Mm-hmm. And when we compare Oppenheimer to those titles, it's kind of tracking in line with those. So that's why you're seeing kind of these forecasts. The sweet spot seems to be about $45 million for this movie. It's also important to know that outside of the Dark Knight films, Nolan movies don't really open much bigger than that. How much
2: is the Mission Impossible factor going to impact this weekend? I mean, I I think that the movie, it's so funny. Like Some outlets say it's fine, it's great. Others, like me, have noted that this is not what you wanted out of an opening for a Mission Impossible film coming a year after Top Gun Maverick to open to you know 80 million for the five day. I suspect like other missions it will hold pretty well and drop around 50%. That's probably my guess. Which movie does that hurt? It probably hurts Oppenheimer, not
0: Barbie. Well ultimately I think Mission's gonna be the one that gets hurt. I, I suspect that's for the Yeah. Well so first of all it's losing IMAX screens. It has True. other premium large fat formats. We also wrote a a piece a week ago about the fight for screens that's going to happen this weekend, because Barbie is going to take a lot of screens. Oppenheimer is going to take all of the IMAX screens and some traditional screens. Mission Impossible is losing IMAX screens, which means that Paramount is going to try and secure more traditional screens so that the overall theater count doesn't drop.
2: Oh, I, I did a piece about a month ago about Tom Cruise personally calling theaters and even some studios lobbying for permission to get more of the premium large format screens, which is highly unusual for a star, even a producer star like him. Um, I don't know if it worked. We'll see what the numbers are this weekend. But um, yeah, that is weird.
0: Yeah, so there's some serious dropping for screens this weekend. it's also, you know, it's going to hurt movies like Insidious and these movies that have been yeah. in theaters. Like, they're just going to drop off a cliff uh, in terms of their theater counts. Probably not the QAnon
2: movie, though. That thing's going to chug along.
0: Well, and so, you know, nobody saw that coming, right? So that that's another sort of wrench that everyone has to sort of anticipate. It's a fascinating weekend.
2: All right, so I'm going to press you. I'm going to, you know, we are all about, Predictions and accountability on this show. So give us your best guess for the Barbie and Oppenheimer three-day domestic number.
0: All right. Well, normally I would be very comfortable giving you this forecast for any other movie. And I feel somewhat comfortable for Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer right now, the sweet spot for this movie is about 45. Maybe it gets to 50. Barbie, like I said, right now we have it 120 to 130, but we're still waiting for data inputs. You know, we talked about reviews before. If the reviews, if they're great, could add 20 million. If they're not great, it could subtract 10 billion.
2: So you're not willing to go there yet on Barbie?
0: And we just don't know yet. So, you know, we're going to give our final number on Thursday night. And it's entirely possible that our final number could be around 180. I'm going to go there.
2: My number is 150. Okay. I've seen the movie. I think the reviews will be respectable. I think the critics will acknowledge that it's pretty silly. And that it's kind of a mishmash of feminist politics and silliness designed to appeal to children. I think it's 10 times better than what people might expect out of a Barbie movie. It will be a little controversial, perhaps, in the Fox News circles for some of the politics in it. But I think that the reviews that the critics will sort of, you know, it's Greta Gerwig who they love and they will be overall positive. And I think that it will get to above 150.
0: I would agree with you that it lands north of 150. All
2: right. Well, whatever it is, fascinating weekend. Excited to see it. Thank you, David, for coming on.
0: Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.
2: All right. We're back with the call sheet. Craig, let's get an update on your personal Netflix subscription, because I know that you were freaking out a little bit about the password sharing crackdown.
0: I have held on to all <laughs> Netflix passwords from friends and family. I'm still using. Oh, you are! Those. You
2: haven't gotten the screen that says "Pay Up, Buddy."
0: Not yet. Still on my family's Netflix. And also, if this sheds some light into my life, on my honeymoon, my mother texted me. I think it's time you get your own Amazon. Prime oh,
2: account. you're all grown up. It it happened.
0: <laughs> I I just I left that on red, so she has
2: no idea that I saw it. <laughs> even. You're just gonna put your head in the sand and be like, you oh, know, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to feign ignorance.
2: <laughs> All right. So Netflix earnings are this afternoon after the market closes. And there is widespread speculation that Netflix is going to blow it out of the water, that they're going to have subscriber increases and that the password sharing crackdown and the new advertising tier are both working. And they're going to add. I've seen everything from, you know, three million subs, five million subs. My prediction is that Netflix will grow more than 5 million subs this quarter, which is a big deal because Netflix seems to be pulling away from all these other media companies that are struggling in streaming. Disney is losing subscribers. All these other companies are trying to figure out how to add subs. Netflix's pivot to ads and crackdown on password sharing seems to be working. And I think this is just another example we're going to see today of Netflix kicking ass and doing it right.
0: Do you think this was foreseeable when the great Netflix correction happened, that Netflix would actually be the first streamer to kind of make its way
2: out of that hole? No, I don't think so. I mean, they've done a great job. I mean, you got to admit, most companies have problems when they skew away from their original business model. And, and, you know, when Netflix said, oh, we remember when we hated ads? We're going to do ads now. It felt sort of desperate and like they were, Mm -hmm. you know, knee jerk reacting to the correction. But. They did it. They were able to launch this ad tier. They partnered with Microsoft. They were able to get it in front of their customers. Most of the, not most, but a lot of the people who are, actually, I think it is most of the people who are signing up for Netflix as new customers are going for the ad tier because it's cheaper. Yeah, And they've raised the price of the non-ad tier. And people like less money. I mean, these days people want to pay less money for this stuff. Do you think other streamers are going to now start Cracking down on password sharing as hard as Netflix maybe. is? Yeah, maybe. They're certainly all going after the ad tiers. I mean, they you know, Disney has one now. Max has one now. Peacock always had one. So, you know, they they're all in that business. I think they're going to all be in the fast service business very soon with the free ad supported tiers. But uh, we'll see what Netflix earnings show. But the market certainly thinks that Netflix is going to rebound here because the Netflix stock has been doing much um, better. If you bought at the bottom where the correction happened last spring, you've done pretty well so far. I feel bad for Bill Ackman, the investor who bet about a billion dollars on Netflix, lost about 400 million when the stock cratered and then sold, got out of it. Uh, he would have actually rebounded a lot. But you know what? That's the way it goes. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, David Heron. I want to thank producer Greg Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.